0: So it's, uh, it's a new year, it's so a happy new year. <laughs> in Scotland we make a big deal of new year, but I'm not sure that in Scotland they really do make a big deal of new year. I think in Scotland they make a big deal of a booze up, and, uh, and that's not exactly the same thing. Uh, And we talked about resolutions and intentions. Um, And my feeling is always that if it's the same old, same old, you haven't made a big deal of anything, have you, really? So um, I'm not sure that the Scots do make a big deal of the new year. Like I said, they just make a big deal of a booze-up, and that's not quite the same thing. So anyway, a new year for us. Um, Usually means a new theme, and uh, it does today. We're going to have a new theme for teaching um, as as we, we come into the new year. And the new series is called this, Keep My Commands. That's what Jesus said. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commands, or maybe my teachings. So Jesus says this in John. He says this to his disciples. says, anyone who loves me will obey my commands. My Father will love them. We will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my commands. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. So, God the Father says this, if you love Jesus, you will obey what He commands. Now, for those of you who um, are not familiar with how we've operated in this church over the last two or three years, one of the models we've been using to be a missional church uses the, uh, the acronym BELLS, BLESS, EAT, LISTEN, LEARN and send. And one of the L's is L for learn. And what we're being, it's being suggested that we should learn, is we should learn all about Jesus and what He said. And that would make sense, would it not? Very difficult to work out how we're supposed to do what Jesus commands if we don't actually know what it is that He does command. So, therefore, logically speaking, we're going to spend a few weeks between now and Easter looking at what it is that Jesus actually does command us to do. However, over the years, certainly in the West, lots and lots of evangelical Christians have developed a problem with commands. They don't like to hear anybody at the front say should, ought, must. They really, really don't like to hear that. And that poses us a problem because that is actually the language of the New Testament. The New Testament is full of should, ought, musts, and the person who started it The real troublemaker, so to speak, is Jesus, who does this all the time. How very dare He. Now, the interesting thing about this is that should, ought, must involves commands, and commands therefore suggest obedience. Yeah? Now, the Old Testament principle worked like this. God said, here's a whole load of law. Please keep it and it will go good. Don't keep it and it will go bad. But I don't want you to keep it just because it's the law. What I want you to do is to keep it because you love me. I want you to keep it because you love me. Now the difficulty here was that in the Old Testament we know the people who were given the law just frankly didn't love God that much. So mostly they didn't keep, and mostly it went bad for them, until eventually they ended up completely outside of the land they'd been given, absolutely exiled and totally isolated. And then they realized that maybe they ought to keep the law. The trouble here was that there was still no love. So it kind of still ended up, kind. You know, you know how you get teenagers. Have you ever come across a teenager? You might even have been one yourself. I don't, I don't know, possibly. Right, you know that thing where you say to, to your kid, you go, look, it'd be really nice if you just sort of help around the place. And they go, hmm. Because that's universal teenage language. "Hmm." And and they go, well, look, you know, you're part of this family. If you loved us, you'd make a contribution. And then you have a big argument, and there's a big huff, and there's like, well, if you want, and to your room, and blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? You know all that stuff that goes on. And then, after a while, I don't know what drives it, a sort of combination of hormones and guilt, I suppose, that they, they, they come storming down the stairs and go, right. And, and before you know it, they, they've pulled all the furniture out and they've emptied all. You want cleaning? I am going to give you cleaning. And, and you know, and you want to say, well, that isn't actually what I meant. You know what I mean? To the, extreme of the extreme. And actually, you're not doing this because you love me. You're doing this because you're in the huff. You know what I mean? Well, kind of that's how Israel ended up, where they went, right, if God's not going to be nice to us because we don't obey the law, we'll give Him law. That'll show Him, which kind of isn't exactly love, is it? It's huff. Now, the problem with the Christian is, they say, well, we don't want to be like that. And we don't want leaders in churches who are complete dictators. Therefore, should, must, and not has to be removed from all our thinking. Well, that's kind of the extreme as well. The problem for the Christian is this. Doing what Jesus commands should be because we love Jesus. And that seems to cause a problem. One of the difficulties is that we no longer see obedience as a priority. I'm talking about the whole West. I'm not just talking about us here. I'm talking about the whole Western evangelical church. We kind of see it as a sort of negotiable. We've lost our perspective, if you like, on on spiritual life. You see, outside of following Jesus, we only have the physical life. So we have a range of choices, don't we? We basically go, whatever choice we make, that determines our quality of life. We make poor choices, the consequences come, and so on. But the Christian life is slightly different. The Christian life has is more than that. That when we make choices, the choices have a spiritual dynamic too. And following them is important. So, when the Bible says, if you do this, it will be unhealthy, that means it'll be unhealthy. And it'll have us an issue. So, what Jesus does is gives us commands out of love, and that is to do us good. In post-truth culture, which is where we're at now, however, that wouldn't be a command. That would just simply be Jesus' opinion. Well, thank you, Jesus, for sharing your opinion, and I'm sure that works for you. And who knows, it might work for me. Tomorrow and the day after, it might not work for me again, and two weeks from now, it might start working for me again. And we'll kind of work on that hazy, fazy, however you feel sort of basis. And the difficulty with the Bible is it doesn't fit our current culture in any way at all. In fact, the church gets into difficulty in its teaching of the Bible when it starts to use modern words. One of the words I've been hearing a lot over the last, particularly the last year about church and being involved in church is the use of the word volunteer. Volunteer isn't a word that appears in the Bible. And and it's a difficult concept because, you see, in the Bible, the concept is that discipleship is actually an obligation for the Christian. It's not an obligation for people who are not Christians, but for Christians. It's an obligation. In other words, we do it because we've signed up for it. And that's an interesting concept. The whole non-negotiable thing is just a challenge for us as a church. It's a challenge for us as Christians. It's a challenge for us in our culture. But it is an interesting sort of concept. So, what I don't want to do is have a series where lots of fingers get wagged at people or people feel pressurized or put into overly onerous positions, or we all get very legalistic. But there is another side to this, which is that it's not the same if we follow Jesus. It's not the same if we follow Jesus. We are challenged to do what He tells us to do, not as though we had a choice, but as though we had an obligation. You must, you ought, you should. Now, to avoid that being my opinion, in other words, I'm not telling you you ought, you must, you should, we stick to what it is that Jesus tells us and what the Bible tells us. Those who then teach beyond Jesus' teaching, or not beyond, but expand Jesus' teaching in other parts of the the New Testament, and tell us to be, if you like, um, what we ought, what we should do. Now, one of the reasons that Jesus says must, it's a bit like the doctor. So, the doctor says, you must. Usually, what the doctor means when the doctor says you must is, if you don't, something pretty bad is going to happen, as opposed to, you must do this, you know, you must wear different colored shirts, because frankly, you're spoiling my surgery wearing clothes like that. Now, that would be kind of going beyond, you know, the, the, the sort of, you know, physician's bounds. And it works the same in the church. You know, if the church says, well, you know, you must, you must be here every week in a suit and tie or a posh hat or whatever, then, then that's got nothing to do with it. And it nor does it, for that matter, affect the health of the church in any way, shape or form. However we do have areas where it does make a difference. And what Jesus says is, you should you ought, you must because it's good for us to do it. And if we love Him, then we will become healthy members of His family. Quite often we say to our kids, please don't do that. Please don't do that because it's potentially going to do you harm And it makes me worry a lot. And if you loved me, you really wouldn't want to make me worry that much. Well, it works the same way. Please don't do these things. Please do do these things. Because if you don't, you make God worry about you. I know Jesus said, don't worry. I'm stretching it a bit. But you know what I mean it causes them concern because it's not healthy. And that's kind of where we've started. I'm going to start with the first one, where Jesus says to Nicodemus, you must be born again. You must be born again. Now, we've already dealt with the the must. But he puts that on as a minimum requirement. The minimum requirement is no one gets into the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Now, culturally, this is a challenge because culturally, in, in our Western culture, what somebody wants to go is, well, thank you for that suggestion, Jesus. I've decided that I'm going to get into the kingdom of God in a different way. And here is a culture clash because Jesus doesn't say, here's my suggestion of how you might like to get into the kingdom of God, but of course other ways are possible. Jesus doesn't say that. He says, unless, unless you do this, you don't This is non-negotiable. This is absolute. And that's quite challenging. We can't go to God and go, I'll make my own way in, please. Because God says, no, this is the way. Two things Jesus says about being born again. You must be born of water, born of the Spirit. Born of water Meaning cleared and purified. Now, Nicodemus, who was somebody who knew the Old Testament really well, he would understand this. One of many, many references about being born of water comes from Ezekiel, where the prophet Ezekiel promises the children of Israel this. He says, For I will, this is God speaking to the people, I will take you out of the nations and I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from your impurities, from all your idols and give you a new heart and a new spirit. I'll remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh." I'll put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. So, an inside out, cleaning out, a washing up. We are called to have the same thing. The writer to the Hebrews in the New Testament says the same thing. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened up for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled, meaning with water, to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed in pure water, that's an interesting idea, that we become cleaned up by God, cleaned up, that God softens our heart. One of the things I used to find as a teenager, Does this happened to you? Maybe. I used to do that, you know that jaw thing, where you go. And Your jaw goes really tight. Is that, did you ever do that? No. Okay. I used to find, when somebody was pushing me in a direction I didn't want to go, I did that jaw thing. I started to get up. I know. I still do it. You're right. Yeah. I'm. I'm really pleased my kids aren't here today. So. Yeah. And it was about that getting, getting shoved. And it, it's, it's real, genuine donkey behavior. And this might be, you know, a disservice to donkeys, but you know, like the more you push, the more your heels go in, you know? Yeah. Well, for me, that was just about hardening up. I would harden up. Whenever I felt like, you know, I ought to be giving in, I would harden up. Now, I learned that other people are much cleverer than me, and they don't do that, because that causes trouble. And instead, they stay nice and loose in the jaw, and they go, yes, of course I will. They're not going to do it. It's not going to happen. But they go, yes, of course, you're absolutely right. Yes, I see that now they're not going to do it. When I, when I um, became employed in managing other people, initially I, I had this idea that, you know, when you meet resistance, you know it's resistance because people show you that they're resisting. And it took me a little while to learn that there are lots of people who appear massively compliant, who absolutely have no intentions of doing anything that you suggest whatsoever, And you ask yourself, well, which is worse? I've got to be honest. I find people who are really, really compliant on the surface and uncooperative underneath harder, because at least I know what I'm dealing with, with the truculent, awkward ones like me. Maybe I just find them easier to deal with because they're like me. That's often the way. But at the end of the day, either side. The intention inside is not to cooperate. And what God promises is that when we are cleaned up in Jesus, our tendency to cooperate with God should change. Does that make sense? It should change. The other side of this with with being born again as Jesus says, you must be born of water, you must be cleaned up, what's going wrong in our lives. Our tendency to rebel, which in my sense is that tension, but in others is that lovely flowing. Of course, absolutely, I completely agree with you and will do nothing about it. But the other side is becoming spiritually Alive, And this is very important because where does this change of heart come from? And it comes from being made spiritually alive. The Bible tells us that we were dead. That we had actually had no concept of spiritual life. We just didn't operate in the realm of spiritual life. We didn't have anything to do with spiritual life. All we did was basically what drove us, what we wanted, what we were hungry for, and so on. We're going to talk a bit more about spiritual life as the weeks go on. But Jesus says the starting point is that we have to be brought to spiritual life so that we see things differently. And he tells Nicodemus, well, how do you know that? How can you see that? And he says this, well, If you're not brought spiritually to life, then what goes on in the spiritual world makes no sense to you. You can't see where it's coming from, you can't see where it's going, it's like the wind. How does that work out to us? Well, it works out like this. We have to look at our default positions and say, are our default positions spiritually based? What do we revert to? What do we look back to? What do we put our security? Do we run to God? Do we run to other things? And I think there's the the challenge for us, that our identity becomes different. Now, what Jesus says is that when we're born again, we become a new person. We become completely different. We join a different family. And that's exciting, but it's also challenging. New life means new freedom. What do we do with this new freedom? What do Christians do with their new freedom? Well, the challenge for the Christian is the same as it's ever been for human beings who encounter God. So in the Old Testament, this nation of slaves got set free from slavery. They went out into the desert, and as soon as it got tricky, what they wanted to do was go back to being slaves again. Now, does that make sense to you? But it did to them. You see, the price of freedom is that you now live your own life. But living your own life means that you make choices and you have responsibility. And as soon as that looks hard, the temptation is just to go back. Now, eventually, the children of Israel got used to the idea that they had their own lives. And they settled in a place and then they discovered the people around them They had their own lives as well, but they were living their lives differently. And guess what? In true human nature, they said, well, we want to be like them. And God said, if you're going to be like them, then it's all going to go wrong. And they said, we don't care. We don't like being different. We want to be the same. And so they were, and it all went different. Now, Christians can do exactly the same thing. We can say, well, what are you going to do with your new freedom? I'm going to go back to slavery. I'm going to go back. Before, I used to not be able to deal with my feelings. And now I can run to Jesus, or I can just follow my feelings. When I I used to not belong to Jesus... I used to crave for these things. And when I didn't get them, I felt insecure. Now that I belong to Jesus, I'm still going to use those things to make me secure. Or at what point do we change? And, and the Bible says to us that we have the opportunity to change. But Jesus says you have to. You need to be a new person. This is what the Bible says in Romans. What then shall we say? Shall we sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? No. Because we offer ourselves to someone as obedient slaves. Interesting word. Whether you're slaves to sin or whether you're slaves to righteousness. Bob Dylan, whom I have listened to a little, once wrote a song in which he said this, you've got to serve somebody. You've got to serve somebody. In Romans it says this, you have come to obey from your heart, you've come to obey wholeheartedly the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Slaves to righteousness, that's an interesting one. Being born again means a new heart. It's a really good thing because those things that used to control you, you can be free from. Those things that broke you, you can be free from. Those things that you want more and more and more and more of, as we've been talking about at Christmas, but never actually seem enough, you can be set free from. But then, having been set free, you need to live differently. Because if you go back... It's just the same. Now, how do you live as a Christian in the modern world? We've been having conversations about this over the last um, couple of months, Um, and this is not my analogy, but I do really like it. If Jesus was teaching sort of in, you know, town squares nowadays like He did before, The kind of modern question potentially we get would go like this. We go, look, Jesus, can I ask a question? Yes. Well, look, I've decided I'm going to be a disciple. So, I'm going to be a disciple, Jesus. But I just want you to know, okay, all this stuff, well, I don't really like it. And all the things that I was involved in, they're just a lot cooler. And doing what I want kind of feels good for me. So what I'm interested in, Jesus, right? If I can be a disciple is, let's just cut to the quick here. What is, just tell me, what is the absolute minimum that I can do? I mean, like, where is the line in dodgy scenes in films and television that I can watch still be okay? Where's the line in terms of language? You know, just exactly how intimidating does somebody have to be forcing me to admit to being a Christian before I actually have to tell them that I really am? I mean, how bad does I have to get? What's the absolute total minimum? that I can do? What's the minimum I can give? What's the minimum amount of time? This Bible reading malarkey, how many times a decade do I actually have to read the thing? I mean, genuinely, outside of when I want something from you, how many times do I actually have to pray? I mean, really, what's the, you know, tell me. Now, we know what Jesus' response is because Jesus tells us in, in the New Testament, but what Jesus is going to say is going to say, if that's your attitude, mate, don't bother. Because actually what you're choosing is not me, because you don't love me. If you did, you'd keep my commands. If you were really born again, if you were renewed, and this is what Jesus says. Jesus says, anyone puts their hand to the plough and looks back, it's not worthy of me. That's quite challenging. Jesus said this. Get it in the right context. But he said, anybody who will not choose me over the desires of their mother or their father or their wife or their husband or their children isn't following me. That's challenging. It's like you put me first. Do you think I can't care for your wife and your children and your father and you? Of course I can. Do you think I can't do that? Are you prepared to trust me or do you want to keep control? And that's the whole thing. We're challenged to be born again, to be something radically different. And Jesus says you have to be. You have to be, which is quite a challenge wholeheartedly sacrificially Jesus says be washed from your sin one of the challenges for modern church is that modern church wants to be popular by compromising with sin whether it's um, industrial sin financial idolatry as we see in prosperity gospels and materialism whether it's in sexual immorality, whether it's in community selfishness, whether it's in the power of ourselves, whatever it is, we like to compromise with sin. But here's the problem. The problem is that the church which compromises with sin will die. Revelation tells us this. Read the first three chapters of Revelation to what Jesus says. And there, But there's a good reason for this, because if there's no sin, There's no need for salvation. And if there's no need for salvation, there's no need for a gospel. And if there's no need for a gospel, trust me, there's no need for a church. Because that's all we've got. So we have to be different. We have to be called to be different. We need to be washed and we need to be made alive. So here's the question. What does that look like for you? What does that look like for you? What does that look like for this church? What do we as a church look like if we are being sold out? We're not being minimalist, we're being washed and made alive in the Spirit. What does that look like for us? And also, what does that look like for you in this church? What does that look like for you in this church? I'm really pleased that we are a good thing about Bridge North. But what are we doing with it? We need a vision of what this looks like, salt and light. And let's be honest, ladies and gentlemen, there is no better year to have vision than 2020. (laughs) This is the year to have vision. Yes? What is our vision? What is your vision for you, sold out and born again? What is your vision for this church sold out and born again? And what is your vision for you in this church sold out and born again? Jesus says, you must, you must, be. Born. this is not me, this is him. You must be born again. So come to Jesus. Get fresh vision. We as a leadership have an away day on Saturday. Where We're all getting together and one of the things we need to pursue is how does vision go forward for this church and what is our role in that. So please pray for us on Saturday as we do that. As we seek vision, but we need, we must be born again. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, first of all, I just want to thank you for the patience of these people listening to me for such a long time. Lord, I pray that what I've said that is of help. And of you goes deep and into hearts. And that what I've said that is not of help is discarded. Because what we need, Lord, is to hear from you, not from me. And what we want is your word to go deep and for us to know how it is that we can best please you by obeying all that you command. So... Be born in us again. Be born in us anew, as the carol says. And let us be refreshed and empowered in this new year, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.